Welcome to the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Gomes. And I'm Anna Cash. Here, we come together to bring you a podcast all about preserving food safely, easily, and dare I say perfectly at home. We are master food preservers, moms, wives, and we love talking about canning. We've decided the world needs a podcast that shares up-to-date, modern, safe information about canning, dehydrating, freezing, freeze-drying, and more. We answer listener questions, teach beginner and intermediate techniques, and share our very best tips for preserving successfully. We'll show you how to find trusted recipes, sources, and more so you never have to second-guess your preserving practices again. Ready to can like a master preserver? Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Cash. I'm here with Jenny, and we are so excited to have a guest today. Her name is Stephanie Thoreau. She's a master food preserver. She also has written three amazing canning and fermenting books, and we are just so, so glad that she is here. Welcome to the podcast, Stephanie. Thank you for having me. Great. So today we are going to talk about fermenting vegetables, which Stephanie is an expert on. She teaches local classes, and we are just going to deep dive in. If you've never done any vegetable fermenting, she is going to walk us through it. The first thing we're going to talk about is what foods are fermented. So pretty much everything that you have in your fridge on a regular basis is so much of it's fermented. So Bread is fermented, chocolate is fermented, beer and wine is fermented, coffee is fermented, vinegar, yogurt, cheese. I mean, so much stuff that people don't think about is fermented, right? Yeah. I mean, I I just recently learned how people make chocolate and, and that original cacao pod is like fermented in juice. It's a really interesting process. And I think a lot of people, like you said, don't understand that so much of that is fermented. So the process that we ferment with when we do vegetable fermentation is called Mm lacto-fermentation, and that's short for lactic acid fermentation, and it's also known as wild fermentation. And so what that means is that we're using the bacteria that's naturally present on the skin of the produce and in the environment to kick off the process of fermentation. So we're not adding any starter cultures to it. We're just using the produce and the salt or the produce salt and water. Oh, that's so interesting because like I've seen products sold like yogurt starter or you can buy like something to add to kickstart your fermentation, but lacto is just purely wild, right? Right, exactly. Yep. And so in that process, the good bacteria, which is known as the lactobacillus, converts the sugars into lactic acid. And then the lactic acid is a natural preservative and it creates an acidic environment. And so that inhibits the growth of bad bacteria, but allows the good bacteria to thrive. And that whole process is also what creates that sour flavor of the fermented foods. Well, our listeners have heard us speak many times about the value of the old acid chart. So we're, we're hip to that. That's awesome. So some of the reasons that people would ferment food is, well, it extends the life of food, number one. You know, if you have a cabbage on your counter, it's going to end up rotting after a week or so. But when we add the salt to it and and do this process, I mean, that cabbage is going to be good for, you know, technically years. The texture and the flavor would change and and the taste, but it's not going to go bad once you've fermented it and put it in your fridge. 
ideally you'll eat it within six months to a year, year and a half, but it's really preserving it. So that's the main reason next to probably the the probiotics that you get out of the fermented foods. Well, also, you know, when you ferment something, you're you're making it more easy for your body to digest. My husband has Crohn's disease and he has a hard time eating cooked or raw cabbage, but he can do fermented just fine because it, through the process, it's breaking it down a bit. So, so it's easier to digest and then the vitamins and minerals are more readily available for your body to absorb. And then the good belly bacteria, the probiotics. So, you know, people say, well, I take, I take a supplement and that's fine. You're getting billions of the same couple copies of bacteria, which is Mm. better than nothing. But when you're fermenting your own food and you're fermenting a variety of food and eating that, then you're getting a variety of good bacteria. And that's what your body needs. So that's the main reason. But also people ferment because it's nostalgic. I mean, I teach classes every time I get the same story about, oh, my grandma had a huge crock in the basement. And I used to go sneak out of it. I hear that. So people want to learn again because it just brings them back good memories. And it's economical. You know, fermented foods are really popular right now, which is great, but they come with like a price tag. And once you start doing it yourself, you'll, it's like, it's just so much cheaper. I mean, for, for a quart of sauerkraut, like a packed quart of sauerkraut that you've made yourself, it's the cost of that cabbage. But when you buy it from the store, you know, it's great they have that option for when you run out mm-hmm. or if you don't want to get into doing it. But you're going to pay $10 for a loosely packed, very briny jar. Right. Where so a cabbage here, an organic cabbage, I can get for under $2. Yeah, that's no joke. The, the price point of these now very popular foods is very high. I There's a... I think it's the Kavita brand of water keeper. I think and love that type of water keeper. And it's, I, I don't buy it anymore. It's $3 a tiny bottle. It's terrible. I thought, yeah. I'm in California, so it might be higher here, but, <laughs> but you're right. The economics of it really makes a lot of sense. So the part that I'm so excited to hear is all about the how, Stephanie, how do we get started fermenting? Okay, well, first, um, I'm going to tell you about the two different methods, and then I'll tell you step-by-step how to do some sauerkraut. Okay, so when we ferment vegetables, there are two different methods. There's a brining method, and there's the dry salting method. So the brining method is when you dissolve salt in water to create a brine, and then Mm -hmm. you're going to submerge your produce in the brine. And then the salting, the dry salting method, is when you massage salt or, you know, um, mix it with the vegetable and it creates a brine. So Mm. that's the method you'd use for sauerkraut. I don't add any water to that. Mm -hmm. You're creating a natural brine. So through osmosis, the salt pulls the water from the cabbage, and then we submerge the cabbage shreds in that brine. And so those are the two methods you'll use for all of it. When you ferment vegetables, you're going to do it at room temperature generally. Mm. Between 60 and 75 degrees, in my opinion, is ideal. The colder the room, the slower the process will take. The warmer the space is, the quicker it will happen, but also the flavors will be impacted. So I like to ferment when my home is between 68 and 72. Like this time of year is actually pretty ideal or fall because in the summer, my kitchen's a lot warmer and things become more sour and softer. So it's kind of up to personal preference, but I think 68 to 72 is that that key zone. 
But some some places around the world, they like a really soft, sour, sauerkraut, and then they would let it ferment for months, and they maybe wouldn't mind if it got very, very sour and soft. So that's so interesting. Yeah, I was gonna say, is there is there an issue like in the summertime if you you know make something and it ferments quicker? Do you not get as many beneficial bacteria if it's a faster ferment? No, it's just different and the flavor is going to be impacted. So I stick to like making kimchi generally in the in the fall because I like that mm. flavor better. Ah. Um, or you can, so we have basements here. I know a lot of places in the country don't have basements, but I can bring it down there. Some of my friends don't have air conditioning and they'll bring their stuff over to my house even. So I would say, you know, if you don't like the flavor when it's warmer, stick to things that you do like or shorter ferment stuff like tomato salsa. I ferment that for a day or two. Oh, oh, I do that as well. Yeah. And it's so good, isn't it? Really great. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Oh, yeah. It's like a whole new level of to your salsa. Wow. <laughs> so what tools do you, does a person need to start fermenting? Do I need to buy a bunch of stuff? No. You don't need to. There are a lot of things on the market, which again is great, but can be really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But I tell people to, well, when we do my classes, I say just a mason jar is all you really need to get started with the lid and the ring. That's minimally what you need. Ideally, you would have some sort of weight for the jar to keep the produce down. And I use WEC jar lids because I use, well, they're cheap. I mean, it's like a dollar for the lid. You can buy replacement lids, but they have pickle pebbles and and weights specifically made for jars as well. So some sort of weight to hold the produce down is a benefit. And then also an airlock lid that fits on the mason jar also helps, but not necessary. But I have these uh, silicone lids with little nipple airlocks on the top. And I find those to be great. I give those to all my students too. And they've had a lot of success fermenting for their very first time with that setup of just a jar, a little weight, and then the silicone lid. And so aside from that, you just need salt. And I start everybody out with kosher salt because it's easy to find and inexpensive. But you you can experiment with other salts and they will have different flavors. And, um, but just to get going, kosher salt is fine. And then fresh produce, uh, you know, the, the, the sooner you can preserve it after it's harvested the best, but I'll go to the grocery store and buy cabbage too, you know, mm-hmm. if it's off season or whatever you, you have handy. So that's minimally what you need, but you can get into, um, large cracks with lids and weights and all this other stuff, which is great too. I say that's what you kind of graduate to once you've committed to fermenting. If you've already fermented for a while and you're looking to upgrade, they have cracks with water wells with lids to the water well and then you pour water into that well and it creates a natural airlock and so that's nice because it allows it to bubble and gas without you know fussing with it just like an airlock for a jar but keeps all the other contaminants out and those always come with weights to hold everything down so the cracks with the airlocks are what I recommend with the water well airlock that's amazing I have a my mom has a crock in the garage and it's been in the garage for years what would a person have to do to properly clean a crock to use a used crock? Well, hot and soapy water is what's recommended. You don't want to put crocks into the dishwasher. Okay. 
And then I would recommend actually filling it up with salt water and letting it sit for like a week because a lot of these old cracks have these super, super fine cracks. Yeah, cracks. And you can't see them with your eye. You can't see them until the salt starts coming through the walls. Wow. And you don't want to use those. That's when it becomes decorative or a placeholder for, I store my canning rings in those. Sure. That's that's actually a really great tip, and I would not have thought of that. Okay, salt water soak for a week. Got it. Yeah. So that's all you need really to get started. Okay. So to make a quart of sauerkraut, you're just going to need one head of cabbage, and it's probably going to make a little bit over one quart. But then you're going to remove the outer leaves, remove the core of it, cut it in half, cut it in half again so it's in quarters, give it a wash, and then you're going to slice it into shreds. Now I say like eighth inch, I like mine a little bit thinner, but again, it's a personal preference. Quarter inch, eighth inch shreds are even finer if you want, but not, I don't recommend necessarily chopping it up into bits. So keep it a little bit shredded, but bite-sized shreds. Transfer your shreds into a bowl. Add salt, about one tablespoon per head of cabbage, one to one and a half. And then you're going to massage the salt into the shreds. And you're going to massage and mix until you can squeeze a fistful of shreds and liquid drips out. That's your brine. So about how long do you think you would massage for? Like five minutes or half an hour? That's um, that's going to depend on how fresh it is. Mm. So sometimes it is really quick, but generally probably five to ten minutes. Got it. Now you could salt it, walk away, and then come back and mix it up, and then it will happen faster. Mm. So not too long, though. Gives a little, little hand workout. Once you can squeeze a fistful and brine drips out, then you're going to put it into a quart canning jar that you've washed with hot and soapy water. And then you'll pack it. And they have little tampers, little wooden tampers you can buy and get it in there all tight. But usually you can fit your fist in there. So you want to pack it so that when, when your um, shreds are all in there, there's about an inch and a half to two inches of headspace from the top of the shreds to the rim of the jar. And then you want, you want the brine to be above the, the shreds. So that's, that might not happen immediately, but it should happen by the next day. And so with sauerkraut, I really do recommend having some sort of jar weight in there because it's going to be fermenting for several weeks. And any produce that comes above the brine level is susceptible to molding. And if you get mold, you have to toss it. So So yeah, then after, that's it. You're going to pack it in your jar, put the little weight down, have the brine over your cabbage shreds, and then screw on your lid or your airlock or whatever you're using, and then set it on your counter out of direct sunlight. And then after that, you just pretty much have to check on it every couple of days to make sure that the shreds are still submerged. If they're not, take the lid off, get some clean, you know, clean utensil or wash your hands, push it back down, screw the lid back on, and that's really it. And then when it's done, that again is up to your personal preference and taste. So after two weeks, give it a taste. If it still tastes very raw, try it again in another week. So it's going to depend on the temperature in your house. If it's colder, it'll probably take a month to five weeks. And if it's warmer, it'll be done in maybe two to three weeks. So that's just your basic plain sauerkraut. But after you shred it up, you can add in anything you want at this point. You could add grated carrots, grated beet, onions, peppers, garlic, caraway seeds, anything you want at this point. 
And that will also impact when it's done because the more sugar you're adding in there, the sooner it ferments. So something with carrots and onions and stuff like that will be done in maybe a week and a half, two weeks. So you'll just have to give it a little taste. And if it tastes too raw, it's not done yet. The flavors should be blended and you'll have like that little effervescence of bubbly fermented, you know, you just know something you got to trial and error. (laughs) I know when I made sauerkraut for the first time, I was too impatient, I guess. And I also was worried, like, is it done? Is it done? Is it done? And I, I think I pulled it off the counter when it was like seven days old and it just wasn't, it was flat. Like it just, it wasn't fermented enough at all. Right, right. Probably a very common rookie mistake. But I mean, it was fine, but it just wasn't as good as it should have been. Yeah, totally. I mean, it seems weird to put something on the counter and just let it sit, right? Especially if you, you know, are canners like you are. And that's where my first book idea was born because it seemed at the time people either canned or fermented. Ah. There wasn't people doing both. The ideas are very opposite. And so, yeah. So what are some common mistakes that people make that you see? The the biggest one is just they either, well, the biggest one is not keeping things submerged. Under the brine, all will be fine. That's a common saying for. I love that. (laughs) You have to be submerged unless it's a 24, 48 hour ferment, like I said, with the salsa or something really fast. And so, and then the second mistake is they, they forget about it, but that kind of goes hand in hand with the make sure things are submerged. Cause if you're not checking on it, likely as it fermented, it pushed up because little gas bubbles are created and it pushes the shreds out of the brine. And that's, that's why I like to check on it and push back down every couple of days. I see. Yeah. But like, say we're fermenting, um, cauliflower. I have a garlic turmeric cauliflower recipe. And if, if you have a weight and the cauliflower is weighted down and all this brine above it, it's, it's likely never going to push up, you know, so it's more hands-free in that regard. And it's a shorter ferment than sauerkraut. I like sauerkraut as a beginner recipe because it's easy, but at the same time, I don't like that it's a long ferment because I feel like there's more opportunity for error and I don't want people to be put off, but But yeah, just keep things submerged. Keep your space clean. Start clean. Wash all your, you know, your space, just like canning. You're going to pull your hair back, have clean hands, take your jewelry off or wear gloves. All of your supplies should be washed with warm, soapy water. They don't have to be sanitized or anything like that. And you don't ever want to put your crocs in, like I said, or any of the wooden um, fermentation tools. You just wash those with warm water and soap. Yeah, it's all very simple. I think once people get doing it, they're like, wow. And and like I go to the market or I grow food in the, the summer, but I'll go to the farmer's market and buy a bunch of stuff. And I can use the same brine for many different vegetables. So I just mix up a bunch of salt water, wash and prep my veggies, throw it in my jars and season them the way I want. And then pour the water in and all of a sudden I have five, six different ferments going in less than an hour. Mm. And they all are going to have different benefits and different flavors. And it's very much fun. And, and that's a good segue into the three books that you wrote. So tell our listeners what the names of your books are. I love, I just barely got the Canning and Fermenting, I believe, book. Yep. First one was Can It and Ferment It. 
And that had an updated edition in 2020. So the first one came out in 2017. The second one has just some extra bonus content at the end. And then the second two were WEC collaborated books. So WEC jars are a German jar. That's what's popular in Europe, just like the mason jars are popular here. Mm-hmm. So all the recipes are written for the jars, but you can use mason jars for those as well. And all the books have canning and fermenting recipes. And then in the two WEC ones, the WEC small batch preserving has a chapter on alcohol infusions, making your own alcohol infusions. Have you ever, I don't know if you guys even drink alcohol, do you? (laughs) If you do, they have, you know, flavored alcohols like raspberries, spicy vodka, cherry gin, all these things. Well, you can make your own and they're so much better and it's so simple. Oh, that's fun. I drink moderately and I uh, think that would be really, really interesting to try. And it's great. It's a great gift for the holidays. So WEC Small Batch has that section and then WEC Home Preserving has a third chapter that's not canned or fermented that includes infused salts and sugars and how to make your homemade vanilla extract and preserve lemons and just all this other stuff. And But all three books are small batch recipes. That's awesome. I love the small batch stuff. I feel like that's that's the, the new fashioned way of preserving is small batch. I mean, it's great to do big batches of things, but I feel like that's that's a big difference between now and yesteryear is being able to do small batches and not, you know, can or preserve all day long. Oh, right. And you know what? Those small batches, they really up. do. I look at my pantry at the end and I'm yeah. like, wow. Oh, yeah. And are you working on a fourth book? The fourth book that we just finished, I wrote with my friend, Michelle Brune. It's called Small Scale Homesteading, and it is set to release in February. And that goes into all the things we do at our suburban homes. So gardening, chicken keeping, maple tapping, and sugaring. And then we have a DIY section in there where we teach you how to make hand-poured candles and lotions cool. and salves and soaps and all the stuff that we That's do. That's awesome. Yeah. Where can our audience find you online? Where can they learn more about you, buy your stuff, check you out? Well, my blog is under construction, but that's minnesotafromscratch.com. Great. Getting up and going on that website again. But I am pretty active on Instagram, which my handle is minnesotafromscratch. And then my books are sold anywhere that books are sold online. And I don't know any brick and mortar. I don't know which ones. I know they're at Tractor Supply across the country. That's awesome. Thanks. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie, for being with us today. We really enjoyed having you. It's, it's really nice to have knowledgeable guests on our podcast. And we just thank you so much for being here. And we look forward to seeing you in the future. Thank you so much. I'd love to come back. Thanks for having me. That's our show. We don't want you to miss an episode. So please be sure to subscribe. If you found this episode helpful and informative, please give our show a rating and review. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps our show grow. Follow us on social media at Smart Home Canning and at The Domestic Wildflower. Email your preserving questions to perfectlypreservedpodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer your questions on the show. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode released every week.